Welcome to Beneath the Surface. Always ask deep questions. So welcome to Beneath the Surface, episode 11. Today I'm joined by uh, two men. One, Sean Leahy, amateur kickboxer and uh, new blue belt, correct? Just achieved your blue belt? I just got my blue belt. Well, very good. Congratulations. And also Zach Yuen, who has two black belts. We're going to call him two black belt uh, Zach today. And uh, one one in karate and the other in Japanese jiu-jitsu. You, if, if I may, Zach is very modest, so we're, we're calling him two black Zach, or two... Two black belts, Zach against his uh, will, I think. But yeah, Nick, well, Nick, if you if you have two black belts, you you have to show them off, you know, or have at least other people show them off for you. So <laughs> you don't get to pick your nickname, so sorry, Zach. That's right. And well, uh, I'm your host, Hayden Hanna. Today we're going to be talking about why men fight. So uh, we have three martial artists here. We're going to talk about why men fight. Um, and before we start, I just wanted to say that uh, we are not. Uh, ignoring the fact that lots of women enjoy martial arts. Um, we're not ignoring the fact that lots of women are very good at martial arts. We all knew, know who Ronda Rousey is. We all know who Amanda Nunes is. We all know who Holly Holm is. We all have... Joanna Andrzejczyk. Yeah, we, there's some notable exceptions <laughs> to the fact that uh, men are not the only ones that like to fight. Um, the reason I chose that title was... Uh, there's two reasons. One was... Uh, that it's a male-dominated uh, uh, field. That it's mostly men in combative uh, in, in combative sports. And then uh, the other reason is uh, I'm basing this off a book entitled "The Professor in the Cage: uh, Why Men Fight and Why We Like to Watch." So um, that's there's two reasons. So we're not ignoring the fact that uh, lots of women can fight, um, and in fact we encourage women to come out to the martial arts because it's a lot of fun. You should join up. So, uh, so gentlemen, um, let's start with the basics. Uh, sparring. Do you two like sparring? Absolutely. I uh, quite enjoy it. Mostly because um, in my previous martial arts background, so my karate and my jiu-jitsu, it's not a heavily emphasized uh, component. There's, there's elements of sparring to it, but it's mostly uh, prearranged. So promise sparring, if you will. There's not as much free form as in kickboxing, which I've recently learned to enjoy with Sean. Yes, um, when I uh, when I spar, I have a sm- I have a grin from ear to ear, and I just I really enjoy it. I really enjoy like the the, the back and forth of it, not knowing what the other person is going to do. And, and I find when you're um, like when we're in a normal class and we're doing say uh, pad work or work with the mitts. Um, it's a whole other workout when you're sparring with somebody, not knowing what they're going to do. Like it's it's like a, almost like a bit of a chess game um, sometimes. So um, for me, it's really enjoyable. Did you like sparring from day one? Because I I I remember when I first joined up with karate, I weighed like 130 pounds, soaking wet. I was really little. I was afraid of getting hurt. I hated sparring. Like I I dreaded it. I I I did it because I was kind of forced to. And then I came to like, oh, this is really fun. Like I really enjoy, and it kind of came along with skill, right? Once I wasn't getting beat up all the time, it was like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun. I understand why people do it. So, was there any of that at the beginning, like the hesitation, or? For me, there was, um, just not knowing what it was going to be like. But in our in our system, it's more like it's not so much that you're going in there and just trying to beat the other guy. You you and your partner, you find kind of a, an acceptable range of intensity. Like for example, if you're 
I don't want to use belts because in many cases that that has nothing to do with you know what your sparring level is at. But um, if you're a black belt and I just walked in there, we're not going to be going at your level because I'm going to be on the ground, right? And I'm not going to learn anything. So you find a comfortable range and then slowly, you know, you start to move up round after round till you get to a kind of a maximum comfort range. Um, so uh, once I learned that system, um, it, it's, it's actually quite safe to, to train in the way that we train because um, you're both kind of at a, at a comfort level. So, uh, but initially, yes, I was a little bit hesitant for sure. I had the exact same experience. Uh, I was terrified of getting hit when I first started, but um, as my training progressed, as uh, Sean has already iterated, uh, I came to understand that uh, even though we were trying to quote-unquote hurt each other lightly, uh, the intent there wasn't to harm. It was mostly for enjoyment and improvement of skill. So, The, the one thing that I had to get used to, like, if I, if I hit someone you know, too hard, I would say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and they would be like, why are you apologizing, you know, and um, not that it was, you know, it was more like, and now now if somebody has a good, uh, you know, um, you know, gets through my guard or gets around one of my blocks or whatever and gets a good shot in, um, it's more like, it's more of, of uh, okay, I missed that one or I didn't block it, and as, as opposed to, the, you know, them apologizing, it's, mm -hmm. It's almost like, well, I, oh, sorry, I didn't block that one to make you feel like you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, that's interesting because I, when I was doing, uh, like, during my karate training, um, there's no, there's no head contact. The head is a point area, so I can pull my punch and get a point. But if I actually hit the head, then I'm disqualified. And so I, just like as you said, the yellow belts come in or the white belts come in young, and they hit someone and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, eventually they grow out of that, you know, they teach you, they're like, oh man, I scored a point, that's great. But the, the head area, you never uh, grow out of that stigma in, in my style of hitting someone or that taboo. So when I went to, the, to kickbox with you, what I found was I was fine with hitting people in the body and the legs, that was good. But if I punched someone in the nose or in the head, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I... It was, it was like almost like I was a white belt again. I was so not used to hitting people in the head that it was, it was like reverting back to that, like, oh, hitting people is like wrong and taboo and I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is interesting that people say sorry at the beginning and then eventually it's like, don't say sorry. It's like, it yeah. means you're weak or something, you know, <laughs> like, don't, don't say sorry. Um, but, okay, so all three of us had this hesitation at the beginning. And so... Uh, the initial reaction to my question was, uh, of my question, why we fight, was that we enjoy it. But at the beginning, we didn't enjoy it. So there must be some other reason in here that we do it, uh, especially at the beginning. Like, if we, if we aren't enjoying it at the beginning, or we're hesitant, there must be some other reason we're doing it. Yeah. So I feel I can speak to at least my experience of this point. I was actually forced into martial arts at a young age because I was getting bullied a lot in school. And um, the longer I spent training there, the more I grew to enjoy it. And the, the less I got bullied. And that's not to say that I uh, one day went to school and just beat the snot out of people that were making fun of me. I just stopped caring what they, what they thought and avoided most of what they tried to do. I think for me, like the, the the thing that brought me into the dojo is the same thing that like, 
you know, why we go to watch action movies or why we go to, you know, do adrenaline-based activities. I, I, you know, it's just something that really, I, I really enjoy. But um, for me, and the one thing that I touched on in the, your last podcast was that um, uh, in my job, working in use of force and working in security, um, it gives you, it gives me a, uh, you know, not, not to say that I would use, um, you know, specific kickboxing in, in my job, but it gives you confidence to handle situations that you've already trained for, you've already prepared for, kind of thing. Um, but I, I, I don't have, I don't have a, an intellectual, you know, uh, right. answer. I just, I know I'm drawn to it, I, and I know I enjoy, um, you know, uh, competing in that way. But I don't. I think that I was drawn into it from those things that we descri- I described, but I think that the, you know, the reason that I stay is kind of that sense of community that, that we have, that we've built up, um, because if we didn't have that, you know, I don't think I would have stuck around just for, just for the adrenaline, you know what I mean? I would have moved on to something else. So. Right. The, uh, let's go to the bullying thing for a bit, because I think that's quite common. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, that's a common reason why people join the martial arts, is they've been experiencing some type of bullying... <laughs> And they want to uh, be able to kind of stick up for themselves. Do you think that's... Like, I, I think as a... We're all men, and we've all probably experienced some type of physical bullying. Do you think maybe that's one of the reasons why... Uh, it's so common to see men in, in martial arts, is because the bullying takes on a physical nature for us, rather than, like, I think when... Like, I think studies have actually been done on this, that... When women bully each other, it's more about reputation and reputation uh, demolishment. Whereas with men, we just like beat the snot out of each other, right? So in order, you know, like a woman's defense against bullying is not to learn a martial art necessarily, but for men, it's almost like yeah, that's what that's what we got to do to protect ourselves, you know? Yeah, I think um, you know, there's there's bullying in the schoolyard. There's bullying, um, you know, in the workplace. They're two totally different things, and men tend to prepare themselves more for the, the schoolyard type situation than, um, than maybe the workplace. But, uh, yeah, it was a, that was a factor for myself growing up and, uh, just being able to defend yourself, I think is a, is a huge draw for a lot of people to, to get into martial arts and, and, but it's not just about, uh, for me anyways, it's not just about being able to physically defend yourself. It's just, it, um, it gives you confidence, I guess, in, in other areas of your life, not, not just related to you know, martial arts, I guess. That's very true. Like, I, I think it's almost like we, uh, once you reach a certain level in the martial arts, because it's not really cool to be a white belt, but it's pretty cool to be a black belt. So well, We got um, two black belts. We got two here. black belts. So and doubly and, cool and, here. And, and he, and uh, for those of you who can't see him, he is extremely cool. He, he's, he's really cool. Yeah, so cool. But well, but you can, but what, what we're trying to get at here is that uh, it affects, like, I think how you hold yourself and your posture so that the likelihood that you get bullied is smaller to begin with. Yeah. Um, uh, if I can just harken back to your point, Hayden, about uh, uh, bullying being different between men and women, I, I tend to disagree. I think um, all bullying is about reputation. And whereas women or females may be more oriented towards reputation v- through uh, verbal conflict, I still think a, a physical expression of representation is still in male violence. Right. So if I can knock you down, I'm bigger and stronger. I've made myself feel more important, and anyone who's watching, I look more important. 
Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it, maybe my point was just a little bit uh, convoluted there. Um, but I guess women tend to diminish reputation in, by non-physical means, uh, although there's some notable examples on YouTube if you look them up of physical means, which are, you know, mm -hmm. uh, kind of interesting to watch, I suppose. But you're right, there is a dominance thing going on with male bullying physically, right? I think mm -hmm. there's a really great book, I don't know if you've read it, uh, Meditations on Violence by Rory Miller. And he, yes, okay, and he calls it a monkey dance. Yes. Um, yeah, so I would agree with that. Uh, a lot of male bullying is kind of like a monkey dance, uh, where uh, and the the monkey comes from is sort of like our more primitive nature, right? It's yeah. a it's a lower kind of uh, evolutionary state that we kind of roll back to when we engage in these types of silly like bar fights and and dominance, uh, you know, mm -hmm. dominance displays or whatever. So yeah. uh, I would agree. Yeah, definitely, it's still about reputation for men. It's just uh, expressed differently. If I can expand on that uh, point you just made a moment, in uh, Rory Miller's book, he talks about the uh, the three brain model, and it's like your your human brain, your monkey brain, and your lizard brain. Your human brain is analytical and calculating and can make judgment-based decisions. Your monkey brain relies upon what others' uh, perception of you is, whereas the lizard brain is entirely instinctual. And I think that's uh, very interesting in um, in theory, and that even Rory Miller in his book says, uh, as a theory, it's useful for understanding, but in practicality, it's not accurate at all. Um, but where I'm going with this is, um, for for my perspective on why people fight, I think it's uh, something more uh, biological. Like we have all these stress responses that were designed specifically for dealing with life or death conflicts that most human beings in the world today do not experience and so we need an outlet for those unused responses. So you're right, I think it is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of biology involved with, with this, right? Like just the feelings we have when we're bullied, when we're put down, even just being in the same room with another guy that you know can beat you up has a certain impact on your psychological state, I think. You well, know? And, and I think, so there is something biological about it, for sure, I think, and, and it leads rational men uh, like ourselves, I would like to think, to have these irrational feelings about, like, we need to be able to like defend ourselves, or we want to be like uh, the the top dog in the room, um, even though it, it may be bad for us. And it also explains why all these dumb fights happen in bars and things too, because when you know someone else can take you, that causes like psychological damage to men. Like I think I don't know if this is your experience for you two, but in my experience, like I have several situations in my past where I say like, oh, I should have manned up there, you know, or and you remember those, mm -hmm. and, and you think, like, oh, man, like, that's really a situation where I should have just manned up, you know? And, and, and so for a guy, it's not simply, like, oh, you can't just walk away from a fight necessarily yeah. because it's, like, mm -hmm. there's psychological consequences for doing that. Yeah. yeah, it weighs on you. There's a stigma involved with that, which, again, ties into other people's perceptions of you and your perceptions of them perceiving you. But that's, I mean, there, there's certain 
I mean, we were raised to be um, to respond in certain ways, right? That's very cultural for us to to feel like we have to respond like men and stand up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, in my experience, like learning, going through the process of of learning uh, martial arts, um, you get to a level, and especially you in particular could probably talk about this. Side. You get to, but no, but I'm serious. You get to a level where um, you have a, a level of confidence where you can just walk away. You know, and you, you, you know, you, you, the term that comes to my mind is peacocking, where you stick your chest out and you, you, you feel like you have to um, hold your own. But when you have the confidence in holding your own and you have, um, you know, you put your ego aside you, and you can walk away not caring about what other people think, um, that is kind of that, that, that black belt mentality that kind of um, is very attractive to me as, you know, a martial artist. Well, you know, you know that you you could win if you needed to. Yeah. You know, I think that goes a long way. And maybe that's something that, you know, drives us to partake in the martial arts, which is like, uh, to quote the, uh, you know, the karate kid or something, you learn to fight so you don't have to, you yeah. know, and, and so you can walk away and at the same time not suffer that psychological damage that we were talking about earlier, that, that stigma, and you can be confident in it. I was reading uh, George St. Pierre's book, uh, I think it's called The Way of the Fight, and he talks about, he used to be a bouncer in Montreal. And, uh, you know, he's a world-class athlete. He could take any, you know, drunk in a bar, you know. And uh, as long as, it, I'm sure, as long as there wasn't a cheap shot involved. But basically, a lot of people would challenge him to fight. And, and he would say, okay, let's take it outside. And then as soon as they got outside, he would just close the door and lock him out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how he dealt with it. You know, he didn't need to, like, fight the guy. He didn't need to prove it. He just tricked the guy. And that's a way to, like, you get the best of both worlds then, right? You avoid the fight. The, you avoid the stupid fight over stupid dominance things. And you also avoid the psychological damage. It's like win-win. That's a, that's a really smart way to handle it. Absolutely. That's just, uh, that's Bruce Lee's The Way of Fighting Without Fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in security as well, like I find there's two two types of people, two t- two types of uh, security guards and officers that I've worked with, and some, you know, it's the ego versus ego. If somebody challenges you, you have to respond with that equal, you know, that equal force back. But in my experience, you know, somebody challenges me and they say, you know, I could I could beat you up or whatever, you know what I mean? Oh, you, my response generally is, oh, you, you probably could. I don't want you to, you know what I mean? Please yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, but you know. It's more about um, opening lines of communication and getting them to do what you want through communication as opposed to staring them down and, and you know what I mean, strong, strong arming them. Right, verbal sparring. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. But not less combative, maybe. Like verbal, uh, maybe like verbal jujitsu, maybe, you yeah. know, like where you're controlling the movements of your opponent. And, yeah, but, but for me, um, you know, the process of going through, you know, growing up and, and going through those um, psych- psychological battles, I guess, um, you know, and, and you described like feeling like you let yourself down when you didn't when you didn't stand up to to whatever the uh, the, the conflict was or the situation. Um, to me, that whole psycho- psychological element is ego based, right? It's like, you know, I'm I am that I define myself as a man. I should be doing this or I should be doing that, right? Whereas, um, you know, we 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 tend to uh, create this this uh, mentality that of of who we should be and who we we are. But, you know, when you drop that away, um, what you're left with is just a situation that you can, you know, handle it in a multitude of different ways that does not include violence or, or you know, which, which can include walking away and maybe looking bad, badly in other people's eyes, but that's, you know, that's kind of irrelevant, you know.
it's always better to avoid a fight, in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even if it does take the, you know, uh, even if you do take some psychological damage, that might be better than the physical damage at times, for yeah. sure. I uh, think that you might take. It doesn't feel like that, at, though. That's at true. At time, or even reflecting back on it. But you're absolutely right. Anything can happen in a fight. You, there's I, no predictor of it. I feel like um, so I did that uh, sparring tournament back um, a few months ago in, in Toronto, and I. My, my match was at 5 o'clock and I got there at 10 and as it got closer and closer to 5 o'clock I could feel this build up of like okay what's this all going to be about and you know what I mean and by the time we hit the match my adrenaline was, was going so high um, but I learned a lot through that process like I, I didn't win my match um, which which didn't really matter but I, I you know it was a situation that was there was conflict involved and there was pressure and I sort of pushed through it um, despite all of that and came out the other side and everything was fine but I think those little moments, whether it's in competition or whether it's in the dojo, um, you build on those and those become strengths and they help you deal with situations in your life completely unrelated to martial arts. And there's a component and an aspect of that that um, is part of the reason what drew me into martial arts, not just the adrenaline portion, but also to, to, um, to find a challenge and then to build on that, which would help me in other areas. So where does this, uh, the, the monkey dance thing, in the, I'm, I'm thinking in the dojo, because there's certain martial arts, like I would say, the UFC is like one big monkey dance, you know, it's, it's like one big, each guy is trying to uh, fight the other one and exert his dominance over, you know, the, the division or whatever, and then there's other martial arts where that's not really the focus, you know, it, it's not, it's, it, it's not about exert, exerting dominance, but in the dojo, there's still times when, uh, you know, like if you win a sparring match, what it, it's like you're simulating a monkey dance almost. It's like, we're not actually going to do this, but then if I did, I would win, right? And, and uh, I think the UFC is kind of like that too, right? It, it's like, we're not actually going to fight to the death because we're not complete savages, but we're going to fight so that we know who would win if we were fighting to the death, right? Because it's either by knockout or it's yeah. by, by tap-out. Which, which is practically fighting to the death. Like, the, your opponent is done. I mean... That's right. You know what I mean? Which is different from what we do in sparring because we're going at it, you know... If, we're, if, me, and, if me and Zach are sparring, we're going at whoever, whoever's got the least amount of skill so that nobody gets hurt. Whereas in the UFC or in fighting... You're going a hundred per hundred and ten percent. You know what I mean, but um, so but it, yeah, you're in, in sparring definitely like you're you you have that element of it. But do you think though that I mean I don't necessarily think although you know in basketball and maybe a lesser extent in hockey because there's fighting in hockey, but there's still that you versus me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It might not be might not be um, clearly violence, but there's still that element that you could you know go back to our ancestry of you know. Um, overtaking your opponent and, and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, which 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 is comparable, I guess, to, to what we do. Um. Interesting. Um, hmm. I think, like even with Ultimate Fighting Championships, the UFC, uh, even other methods of sport, it's all a a method of harnessing and rigidizing uh, rules of. Conflict. If you think about lacrosse, it was uh, an activity to keep Native American warriors fit in between uh, battles. 
or in between uh, conflicts with other uh, tribes or other nations. Uh, same thing with uh, with uh, uh, soccer. If you uh, think about some of the myths involved, one of them involved Mongols ripping people's heads off and kicking them around. <laughs> so that's to the death. Yeah. So that that one would be to the death. But then that activity in itself became a sport with rigid, uh, mm -hmm. uh, specified rules over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do do the do you think the sports and the sparring and the UFC help in managing that kind of aggression? Because because as I said, it the UFC it it solves the problem of the dominance hierarchy without actually killing people. You know, it's like it's like that that's that's a big achievement in human evolution, I I think. I, not even human evolution, because lots of animals have this type of ritual combat mm -hmm. where there's kind of a fight uh uh to the death in quotation marks where you kind of sort out who would win in a fight to the death. Mm -hmm. Uh but the loser doesn't actually die, you know, that, that's, uh, that's quite a remark, you know, like when you think about it, that's quite a remarkable achievement for, for think, a lot of species. Yeah, like if you go back to the gladiator days, you know, the, um, back to ancient Rome, I mean, obviously there's people fighting to the death and, and uh, pe people being killed all the time in those arenas, but yeah, sports in general, like take whatever, whatever uh, kid or, or whatever um, activity someone is, one isn't interested in, they can find a sport that will kind of fulfill that, that need um, and nobody necessarily has to get harmed or injured along the way. Um, but it serves that, I think, biological need to have that competition um, to test, to test um, other people, but to, I think to test yourself to see what your, your limits are and, and, and how to, um, you know, get better. These, and obviously sports and the UFC and that kind of thing are very uh, enjoyable and um, popular. Um, so I was thinking about this earlier today. Like the UFC, the popularity of the UFC has kind of blown up uh, as far as I can tell um, because it wasn't particularly popular in the, in the beginning years, right? I mean, I wasn't around then, but it wasn't like, it wasn't selling pay-per-views the way it was. But, um, you know, to... Like, it's almost like humans do like that element of danger, right? And it, it seems like this rise in the UFC is correlated to this kind of seemingly softer, gentler generation, you know? Like, it's like, but we still want that, cra we still have that craving for violence, even though, you know, where kids are being raised uh, kind of in, in calmer, gentler times, mm -hmm. it would seem, or it's alleged, right? I don't know if that's true. I wasn't around a generation ago, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I had three three channels on TV uh, growing up, and my parents are listening to this and probably laughing, because, you know, I would have never been able to watch anything like that, but I'm almost certain I wouldn't have been allowed to watch it. But it, but culturally, it wasn't accept. I mean, it was, you know, you, you could rent, or you could buy a UFC 1 or 2 or 3 kind of in the back room, right? And it was like... You know, um, people said it was illegal to buy, and you know, you felt like you were doing something wrong. You know what I mean? But um, but now it's more, it's much more um, culturally accepted and, and that sort of thing, part of our, our uh, society. And, I, and maybe it is uh, kind of a um, an offshoot of the, the fact that um, we're much more, I guess, uh, careful or, or uh, bubble wrapping, I guess, of our of our kids and that sort of thing. And that's that that has become an outlet of our our society. Which is way more violent than I guess what boxing <laughs> ever was, right? So, that that's an excellent point, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, um, 
to use the term uh, zero tolerance, uh, everything seems to be going to one extreme or another. Like mo the majority, I think, of people still raise their their offspring the way they were raised for the most part. But there are some people that are way to the no violence, none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to gender my child. It's their decision when they grow up, mm -hmm. and free will is all well and good, but until they're developed enough yeah. to have that free will, it doesn't make a lot of sense, at least to my mind. And then you have the other extreme where people aren't being raised in that way. Like, people are still abusive towards their kids, and they're going to grow up thinking that violence is normal. And yeah. when those two people interact, one's not going to know how to handle it at all, and one will have a very defined idea of how violence works and how it helps them. I, I, look, at, um, I look at parenting as kind of like a, you know... The, the safety of, of your home is like your children's um, training ground, and I think there's a balance of, of both things. But, you know, when, when my child, I mean, my, my kids are only seven and, and five, and I have another one on the way, but um, as they get older, um, I look at their, their um, I mean, part of me, when, when they have difficulties that come up with their, their friends or whatever, you, you, you instinctively want to protect them from that. But I know as an adult that um, the, the best way to to resolve an issue is to work through it and you know you have the goalposts of life or the, or the mistakes that we make and when um, when you when you when you get too far off to one side you hit a goalpost and that okay I gotta I gotta move back in there if you don't have that process of, of getting hurt or getting upset or, or having those emotional um, ups and downs um, you don't necessarily learn as learn what you would and uh, what I'm trying to say is I guess um, making those types of mistakes are the best way to learn how to um, work through problems and and um, so for me um, it, you know with my kids I want them to not necessarily experience that you know um, those difficulties but when they do come up allow them to work through them themselves because at the end of the day they're still coming home to mom and dad and I, I'd rather them learn that now under the 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 uh, the safety, I guess, safety net of mom and dad's house, you know, learn that before they go out into the world, you know what I mean? Uh, that's, a, that's interesting, the point with the extremes, the, the, the non-violent, completely lack of, lack of discipline, lack of boundaries, and then the, the, other, the other group of people that are like, violence is the norm and appropriate in all situations. And it seems to me in the martial arts, the martial arts have a lot to do with regulating both those types of people because the two archetypal stories that I that you hear over and over again, one is the karate kid, right? The kid that's that's bullied, that's you know, nonviolent, has no boundaries, doesn't know how to how to say and he learns to fight, you know, and he, he learns he learns some, some discipline, uh, some rules, and he's able to stand up to his bully. And then on the other flip side, I hear of a lot of people that join the martial arts uh, that were kind of rebellious as kids. They were the bullies. They had the the bad ego, uh, uh, as Sean said earlier about ego. Uh, they want to go around beating everybody up, and they are able to bring that ego under control. And it just seems like martial arts bring those two types of people together, right? You got the the bullied kids uh, that learn to fight, and then you have the people that are like kind of brute, the, you know, the brutes, and they learn to harness their aggression mm -hmm. a little bit more and and uh, as you were saying Sean parenting I think uh, you know that's a big that's a big part of parenting is like which one is your kid you know is, is you're the kid that maybe needs a bit more help working through their issues themselves 
or are is you're the kid the one that's like bullying and they need to like be reined in a little bit more like recognizing that in in children yeah uh, i haven't had that experience yet but uh you wanted to talk about uh, dining and intermittent fasting or oh. my i guess my question is um for, for you zach because i i don't know if like um you know if certain martial arts have like a typical diet or if you're, your school of, of your background whether you guys were encouraged to eat a certain way like for us at kickboxing where we go it's more of like a, a healthy lifestyle for me um i've i've dabbled in different um you know i've tried uh different i guess um diets and so on to see what would work and and because i'm a shift worker um what i've been doing for a long time is is uh just is focusing basically on um intermittent fasting so eating between certain hours and not so much because um for for, for the health benefits but for me going from night shift to day shift back to night shift um, what would be happening is that I'd be working, you know, I'd be up all day long eating three meals and maybe I get called to work. So then I would eat three more meals at, you know, at mm-hmm. nighttime. And so by the time I go to bed, I've eaten six meals. Um, so now I found a, a, something that, uh, a range that works for me and I follow it whether I'm, um, whether I'm on day shift or night shift and I just eat between 12 and eight. And, uh, and that, that seems to work for me. But, um, as far as martial arts go, can you, is there anything that you could speak to regarding your nutrition? From from my personal experience, I haven't had any specific uh, diet training plan. When um, while we're talking about diet, I'm just going to open this beer here. Yeah, um, <laughs> excellent, <laughs> nice and refreshing. Che- cheers. Uh, <laughs> uh, for for myself, I haven't had any specific thing. When when I was uh, living on my own, I would just eat breakfast in the morning, lunch in the afternoon, dinner in the evening, and then snack whenever I felt hungry. And I was active enough. Uh, that I didn't have any negative effects due to my diet. And it wasn't particularly healthy. It wasn't intermittent fasting. It wasn't uh, a keto or Atkins diet. It was maybe pizza for dinner every night. <laughs> but then like a, a ham sandwich with lettuce, tomatoes, onions, green peppers, cheese. So I, I made an effort to mix in like healthy quote-unquote items, yeah. but I wasn't constantly measuring and yeah. monitoring uh, in regards to martial arts specific diets, um, Gracie's and Gracie Jiu Jitsu is wildly popular and they have a specific diet plan. They have a book called The Gracie Diet that uh, they encourage their uh, fighters and their students to follow. But uh, that's the only one that I'm aware of for martial arts specific diets. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of uh, martial artists just talk about um, like like wild game uh being good but and intermittent fasting uh for sure i hear lots of them talk about that in terms of my own diet like i never really got serious about my diet until i was training for my black belt um and uh that was kind of the time when i said i need to start eating more like an adult i was just coming out of uh out of university at that time so i was uh eating you know cafeteria food craft and, dinner. yeah craft dinner like it was yeah. it was bad I, I was fast food all the time um and uh now i eat mostly like i hear a lot of people eating meat only i i'm not that extreme but i do eat a lot of meat now especially because i'm a smaller guy and i just uh you know i i've been trying to bulk up a bit um yeah. but yeah for, for me that's mostly it it's like i eat a lot of steak i've eaten more steak i think in the past six months and I have my entire life yeah. before that 
Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm 34, so as I get older, I find that if I eat like McDonald's or something, I feel it the next day. Or if I have two beer, I <laughs> feel awful the next day. And, and it, I know that my body's not kind of processing it like it used to or, or whatnot, but those are like the key things that, that are telling me like I need to you know, make better mm-hmm. eating choices. And and I find I get really, and this this can maybe link into uh, our discussion on violence a little bit. But um, I find I get kind of like depressed if I eat poorly for oh, yeah. for a week. You know, like I I get really apathetic and more aggressive. I would say and a little bit irritable and yeah. and that kind of thing. So uh, I would I wouldn't like for those listening. I wouldn't underestimate like if if you have like some sort of uh, you know, if you have problems with mood regulation, including regression, like uh, ag- aggression, sorry, um, you know, look at your diet and like, what are you eating? Are you can, filling your your stomach with crap? Or I, I can definitely attest to that. I've, I've, you know, if you if I go through, uh, you know, two or three days where I'm just eating garbage, I, I feel like you just feel awful. You in your, even your your wakefulness is not. You're not as alert, and then you kind of. What I find is that when I get back on track, I'm just feeling good all around, and I want to exercise and I want to do, you know, uh, eat healthy and that sort of thing. So that that uh, actually makes a great deal of sense, like perfect sense. It didn't uh, occur to me to mention it earlier, but uh, earlier on when I was living alone and I was working full time and eating crap, I ha- went through a period where I was just lethargic and unmotivated and just constantly tired all the time and I'd actually went to my family physician and we did the questionnaire and it was, it was indicated that I was having severe clinical depression mm-hmm. uh, and after I changed my diet uh, I felt better yeah. now that's not to say uh, ignore all your health uh, care professionals advices and mental health is just what you eat but in do take care in what you put into your body because it will have greater effects than you are aware of. Yeah, there's, and I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know um, a whole range about this, but there's a whole scientific um, background regarding gut bacteria and how can it affect your mood and your brain and that stuff, that sort of stuff. But um, I find listening to your body, especially as you get older, like paying attention. How does this feel? You know, should I be putting this in my body? Like just listening to your body. Let that. Let your body tell you what you should be eating, what you should not be eating. Um, that that will guide you in the direction you need to be going. So that that, that that's that has to do with food. Um, what about environmental factors too? Like, um, like I find, and, and and we can bring this back to our discussion on maybe maybe violence and, and fighting a little bit more. Like. Um, like the people you choose to hang out with, the people you spend a lot of time with, um, the people that you choose to motivate you, the things you watch on the internet and TV, all have an impact on how you feel about the world and and whatever. So, so one of the things I find is like, you know, if I start harboring resentment towards people, it's like maybe I should take some time away from those people for a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, because because mm-hmm. you know you got to regulate. You know, regulating emotions like aggression, like resentment, bitterness, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, is not simply like an internal matter. Um, sometimes it can be. I know, Sean, you're really into like meditation and that yeah. kind of thing. Like, there's definitely a an internal component to dealing with those emotions. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's like an element of like controlling your environments as well, For sure. right? Like uh, putting yourself in situations where you're going to be successful. Yeah. And, 
and uh, maybe that's similar to the bullying thing as well, right? Uh, if you are being bullied all the time, you need to think about what kind of situations you're putting yourself into. Uh, and that's not to say, that's not to blame the victim, right? I mean, it's, it's just simply to say, like, uh, you know, look around at what you're doing, uh, how you're conducting yourself, how you're holding yourself in your environment, and, and that can have a big impact on, on your life. Yeah, so. I, think, I think for me, um, surrounding yourself with, I mean, to a certain extent, you, there's certain people in your life that you, you don't have control over, you know? Um, the people that you work with, the people that, you know, family, that sort of thing. Sometimes you can't get away from the situation that you're in, but you can you can learn to deal with it um, more positively. But then there are situations that you know your 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 buddies from high school that you still hang out with that you know are going to you know bring you down or or whatever the case may be. Um, keeping pe- negative people in your life or um, getting getting on the wrong track as far as like what you allow your attention to what where you put your thoughts. That directly affects your mood, that affects your, your decision-making, that affects what you choose to do with your time. Um, so when you, I mean, and how I describe it, like, um, I've had jobs that felt like an assembly line. Like, I'm going to work, and I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and what I've come to learn is that, for, for me, variety is the best possible thing that I can have that keeps me happiest. Not knowing what I'm going to be doing when I come to work, not who, knowing who I'm going to be talking to, just getting up and, and starting the day. Um, that is what keeps me happy and, and having that, um, that variety is what, what I enjoy the most. And if you can't have that, if you, if you have a job where, you know, you're working on assembly line or, or you say you're, you're doing something that is not fulfilling, do something outside of work, learn to run, you know, run a 10 K race, run a half marathon, run a marathon, do martial arts, do something else that you're not comfortable with. Get, Get yourself out of your comfort zone, you know, do something that you're, you're, you're afraid to fail. Or do something you know you will fail at, you know, but it's different. And, and that will change, um, you know, what, how you think about yourself, how you think about your, your life and where things are going. And, you know, you'll meet people and then you'll, that'll evolve into something else. And, you, you know, it's like a springboard. You know, you'll, you'll try something new and then something else will come along. And um, before you know it, changes are happening. That's awesome. I agree with both of you completely. Uh, Hayden, if I can speak to your point, I agree uh, about who you surround yourself with has a major effect because for myself I've had a lot of different uh, work experiences and it wasn't so much what I was doing that mattered it was who I was doing that with that made or break made or breaked well is that the is that a phrase (laughs) made or made or breaked the the experience Uh, and then uh, earlier Jean you were talking about um, people's uh, thoughts and how they can fall into a yeah. a track and um, I've actually read several articles about how people that have recurring thoughts like uh, recurring negative thoughts it's like uh, carts on a road they will wear grooves in and then even if you're trying to follow a different path yeah. like you're having a good thought it can off ramp and fall into those ruts and carry yeah. you down a negative There's, thought process. And, yeah, and I've heard a term. I'm trying to think of the term right now, but like cere- cerebrally, cerebrally, you you tend to you know if something negative happens, you tend to fall back into the same w- um, way of dealing with it, and um, you, t- you 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 teach yourself that negative um, that negative response, right? So, um, it coming up with new new uh, new situations and, and meeting new people and doing new things can pull you out of that 
and start learning new ways of handling that kind of stuff. And that goes back to doing martial arts and and um, having some success in, in moving along and in, in, uh, developing that, um, I guess, confidence to... Uh, to deal with problems in yeah. your life, yeah. yeah. It, it is, I, I would agree, because one of the things I noticed about, uh, it took me a long time, I mean, I'm only 25, but I would say it was only about when I was 23 when I realized this, that good decisions lead to more good decisions, and bad decisions lead to more bad decisions. And it usually only takes one good decision to break a, a bad, it's like, you just choose to not eat McDonald's that one time, and all of a sudden you're eating a lot better for like the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if you're eating well for three weeks, and you just decide that one time to eat that, just to go through that drive through you're downhill all the way for like, you know. And, yeah. and, and so what I've started thinking about is like, okay, are my downward spirals smaller than my upward spirals? It's yeah. like, yes, then I'm okay, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. my... Even if I even if I slide off the path for like a week, does, am I going uphill for three weeks after that? Good, that's fine. And one of the things is uh, one of the things I like so about much about the martial arts is it gives you that experience of going uphill. You know, it's like and 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 maybe uh, it's the same when dealing with a bully or something like that. You know, it's like you feel you go to school every day and you're being bullied. It's like you're going downhill and you're going downhill fast. But you make one good decision. It's like, could be just joining that martial arts school. It could just be like working through a problem one time. And all of a sudden you like figure it out, you know. And you made that one good decision to deal with that bully. However you choose to do it. And then it just leads to more good decisions and more confidence. And, and, and just a greater confidence in your ability to, to achieve things. So you get put in this like positive feedback loop, you know. So yeah. uh, it works for, works for patterns of eating patterns of behavior but also like patterns of violence I would say too uh, mm-hmm. you know you deal with you deal with that bully one time and all of a sudden you feel more confident going in the next time to, yeah. to deal and with it too those little changes I think are uh, underappreciated by a lot of people because they feel like little changes and I, and I look at it in my mind I think of a straight line and, I, and the, that line is where I'm headed and it's the same line that I've always been going and it doesn't work but at the beginning of that line, if I make a little change, it might not be much at that time or that moment or that week. But if I continue that, you know, six months down the road, that line is way across, way further away from where, where it used to be, right? And those little changes can start to build. Um, and, and, and before long, you, you end up somewhere where you never thought you were you're going to be. You know what I mean? Well, to, yeah. If I can interject there, well, one of the things my... Karate Sensei Steve used to tell me about goal setting is that um, your goal is your north, and you choose your own where your north is pointing, and that in the beginning you have an infinity of options, but as you get closer and closer to your goal, you narrow what uh, routes you take, but you can still end up to the far right or to the far left of your original starting path. To that point, I mean, I chose to go to uh, Sean's particular kickboxing school for on a sidetrack for, for about three months' time just to keep up with my own training. I mean, I was a karate guy by nature, as I've mentioned uh, many times, but I, I often think it's like, man, I wouldn't even know Sean if I didn't choose to like go that one time, you know? Like, that's yeah. weird. We wouldn't even be sitting here, so... So little, that's uh, weird, path. and now I know Zach too, right? Yeah. So it's just like, oh man. Little paths, little paths that you take, you think that they're going to be one-offs, 
but they're not. You you meet people and and you know like I've I've had doors close on me and windows pop open the same day. You know, and it's like okay, this whole other world op- opened up to me that was not there had that door not shut. You know, um, so and that that goes with jobs, that goes with all kinds of different things in my life. So I definitely encourage people to go out and do things, try new things. You know what I mean? Because you, you never know who you're going to meet. Um, you make you meet connections, and then you meet people that you know, and then you you know a year from now, who knows what you're doing? So, I just want to ask one final question because we we talked a lot about kind of violence inside the dojo, um, and then and then bullying as well in in the UFC. Is there anything outside kind of the, kind of the martial arts? Like, how do you approach violence um, when it's outside the dojo versus when it when it's inside? Is there personal examples you have? Um, of violence outside the dojo and uh, you know what was your kind of uh, approach to it uh, so for myself uh, regards to violence outside of the dojo only one experience really comes to mind it was um, a number of years ago I'd gone to one of my high school friends birthday parties and because I was working at the time, I arrived late, like maybe two or three hours after the start time. And the house that she was having her party in was full of all her friends and acquaintances and their friends and their acquaintances who were drunk as skunks. And so uh, I wandered inside to find my friend and give her a hug and wish her happy birthday, where, whereupon she promptly had to go to the bathroom and vomit. <laughs> uh, so me being me, I was waiting outside the door to make sure no one else barged in on her. And another drunk guy came up to use the washroom. I told him the situation, but he was, you know, drunk and trying to be a big shot. He was taller than me, broader than me, and more aggressive verbally (laughs) and uh, a little bit physically, like, poking me in the chest and stuff. And I, I knew that... I didn't want to let him in the bathroom, not because I thought he was going to do something nasty to my friend, but just because she was having a private moment with, with the toilet, <laughs> and, and uh, I didn't want her to be interrupted. So I just kind of splayed my hands in front, and, you know, like fingertip to fingertip, and I waited, and I made a decision early in my mind that if he touched me, I was going to strike him in the throat with the open hand. Tiger claws, what we yeah, call it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, because I wasn't re- responding to his monkey dance, uh, he kept working himself up more and more. So he was bringing himself up to a point where he could do something. So he did slap me, and I did hit him in the throat, and he went down, and then I jumped on his back, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, ch- <laughs> and I choked him out. And shortly after, and your friend came out of the bathroom and saw this, and that, that escalated quickly. Yeah, um... Anyways, uh, I didn't actually choke him out. I choked him to the point where he kind of fell out on the ground. And then his friends were actually pretty lenient. Instead of boot blasting me, they uh, just grabbed me and pulled me off of him. And when the guy I was choking got back up, he was very, very docile. (laughs) I would imagine. You get punched in the throat, it's like, ooh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't mess with this guy. And then I promptly decided to leave after that because I figured, why give him another opportunity right. to get me? Uh, after saying goodbye to my friend, making sure she was she in was good okay. company. 
But that was the, the one and only time I got into a fight uh, outside of the martial arts, outside of the school playground. And it was, like, indescribable, the amount of uh, adrenaline that was shooting through my body. Uh, I went to uh, a McDonald's afterwards with uh, another friend who was at that party with me, and my eye was twitching because the, the muscles were spasming from all the adrenaline that was going oh, through yeah. me. No it's, it's hard to uh, simulate that in the dojo mm -hmm. uh, because you're in, a, you're in a completely different mental state when you're actually executing a self-defense technique of some kind then when you're actually just training in the dojo, it's hard to capture that. Uh, I find it's like a laboratory. It's like a laboratory almost. Like the dojo is like a laboratory. Yeah, and you have the it's real a clean, world. Sterile you know, environment. It's a clean, sterile environment, and it's a bit different. And uh, yeah, you, uh, tiger claw to the throat. That that would get him. But it does sound like uh, you know you took the martial arts uh, road and tried to, uh, you know, you were you weren't just. Uh, doing a monkey dance because you were like afraid of your own ego you were actually protecting someone you cared about uh, mm -hmm. you know it was actually self-defense it wasn't like you were trying to pick a fight or anything so that's uh, certainly admirable so that's a good example thank you I, I would like to point out that um, in most extreme forms of violence usually the the recipient doesn't see it coming so with all of our, our talk about monkey dances it's again uh, uh, in person-to-person -person or inter-person conflict. So someone has uh, a reputation that they want to uphold or build, whereas uh, a resource predator or a process predator, right. they want your money, they want your phone, they want your car keys, or they just enjoy inflicting harm on people. They're, they're not, not going to give not, you a warning. They're not going to give you warning. That's true. That's very true. Um, for me, um, I think... I've never been in like a fight on a street fight or anything like that, and I, you know, I, I don't go to bars and that sort of thing, I, you know. But I think like for me, it goes back to um, outside of the dojo. I mean, I've been in maybe maybe half a dozen like hockey fights like over my my teenage years. Some that went well for me, and some that did not absolutely go well for me. Um, but I think for me, um, you know. My, my philosophy is sort of this, you know, coming across situations like that would be much like when I'm at work, you know, like working in security, using humor to kind of de-escalate or using my, my voice or my communication skills or, you know, as a last resort, um, it might come to something physical related, but more often than not, if it's on the street and if it's somebody who, um, it, you know, is peacocking or being an idiot, I, I'd be more apt to just walk away or get out of the situation because it's just not worth my time. And the the other element, obviously, is of course if you get if you get in, into a situation, um, that may be the beginning of it. The the next step might be uh, police involvement or legal ramifications and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, I prefer uh, I prefer outside of the dojo to avoid those situations at all costs. That's uh, very very wise, I would say. And um, in my particular style, we have uh, 16 elements of self-defense, and it's kind of the philosophical training that has to go with the uh, kind of the training of the techniques. And uh, one of the things I've always thought is like those 16 elements of self-defense, the philosophical training in self-defense, will keep me safer than any of these individual techniques will. You know, like just staying, just knowing where to place myself, knowing how to hold myself, uh, knowing where to go being safe, avoiding uh, that those types of situations are going to be the ones that um, 
uh, you know, that's going to be the training that actually helps me keep me safe. Um, Absolutely. Uh, going hands-on is the very last-ditch effort. It means all of your other self-defense skills have failed. Okay. And, and when you do go hands-on, you it's the least amount of force that you need to inflict, you know what I mean? It's Minimal, I mean, minimal necessary force yeah, to defend yourself. For sure. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting what you brought up about resource predators, because you're right, we have talked mostly about monkey dances. And actually, when I train in my self-defense, I almost always picture myself in a bar. And I've realized that recently, like, First of all, I don't even frequent bars that much. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm at really low risk of getting in a bar fight ever. You know, like, like it, it's so low risk. I don't know why, but, but there's still and yet something. You're preparing for one. Yeah, but it's still, it's like my ego kicks in when I'm, when I'm uh, doing self defense training. So it's like, oh, if this guy at a bar was doing this, this is what I would do. You know, and yeah, it's like, or, okay, come on. You know, like, yeah. uh, when is this ever gonna happen? And uh, I was talking with Sean earlier on the car ride here that I actually wanted to gain some. Uh, more um uh like body conditioning and like uh toughness i suppose so that if it was a resource predator and you've already taken the first shot uh because that's what they do they're not going to fight fair and you're in a potentially life or death situation there where they have the upper hand you need to be able to absorb that first blow you're not going to be you're not going to get that poke in the chest beforehand to indicate to you that there's going to be a violent interaction here they're just going to come up behind you and, and grab you or something and and so i think for me that next level of self-defense training is dealing with that okay i've kind of prepared myself for monkey dance in the unlikely event i'd actually get into one what am i going to do about a resource predator you know where someone you know comes up behind me and smokes me in the face first am i going to be able to like handle that first blow mm -hmm. uh, and and recover and and deal with it awesome uh, in regards to uh, training in that regard, there's a, a karate practitioner, uh, Ian Abernathy. He does a lot of uh, self-defense oriented training like that. And one of his uh, things, I, I think I may be paraphrasing, is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So start from a, a negative position, from an awkward position, right. mm -hmm. uh, from a, a position of disadvantage, and then train from there. I, I love that that. that that phrase you used or that you used from, from him, like that's, that's a phrase that one, one can use for their whole life for everything, you know, mm -hmm. get comfortable being uncomfortable. And if you get comfortable, find something that'll make you uncomfortable, you know, cause mm -hmm. that's where the, that's where growth is, you know? Well, I think if you boil a, a, a philosophy known as stoicism down to its uh, bare bones, uh, I think getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is one of its uh, primary tenets. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, um, so I kind of mentioned my next step in training. Um, actually, let's do this. We'll do like a public service uh, announcement here to end the podcast. If you were to give a piece of advice to someone uh, that is dealing with, you know, these inner feelings of aggression or uh, dealing with violence, and and uh, which is kind of part of the human condition, uh, what what would that be? Uh, is it training or they're dealing with a bully or they're dealing with their own aggression themselves or, or that kind of thing. What, what do you, what would you suggest to these people? I think, um, well, number one, I think if, if, if you, you could be a parent listening to this with a child going through that process and looking for an outlet for them, or maybe that's, that's for yourself. But, um, 
I find that people that do martial arts that get into it are very hesitant because they they feel like, well, I'm, I I don't know enough, or, I, or I'm not um, I'm not in shape enough to to do to to go there. And that's kind of like it's funny, but that's why you need to go there. You know what I mean? Like, and everybody starts from somewhere. But um, find find what you enjoy. Find something that you like. It doesn't have to be martial arts. It could be running. It could be anything, right? And and find a community out there that can support you and that you can support and then grow, you know, and, um, yeah. I, I agree with Sean there, and I think that works for both uh, sides of the coin, people who are, are uncomfortable or uncertain of violence or people who have a, a lot of it that they're looking for an outlet that is positive. Just find a, a hobby uh, for, for those that are uh, trying to express aggression in a positive manner. Find a hobby that allows them to do that without inflicting uh, harm or injury on others. So even a, a contact sport, while there is aggression, there is not that intentional harm amongst players, or there shouldn't be. Uh, and for those, for those people that are uncomfortable with uh, with uh, violence, absolutely take up a, a a martial art. Or if you're uncomfortable with the idea of getting punched and kicked right in the beginning, even though you're only going to learn if you start doing it, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Pick up again uh, some mild form of contact sport. Get comfortable with being in close proximity to someone. Uh, that cheek by jowl, elbow to elbow, mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder position. And so no, no, from there. So no fight clubs then. Like. Well, if you wanted to like jump into the deep end, <laughs> I suppose you could try that. But again, like that's probably only going to work for a very small percentage of people. I'm not sure if that's uh, not sure if that's discipline either. I think that's the they're brutes, right? That's the the, mm -hmm. the Fight Club. That's the. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, both great pieces of advice. I would uh, echo that that uh, martial arts is a great thing. That's why I joined. Um, as I said, I was 130 pounds uh, in university, soaking wet, and uh, I was uh, more equipped for I would say verbal combatives than physical ones. So. Uh, so that was, uh, it was something where I literally was just like, uh, I'm just going to do this because it's totally unexpected. I couldn't tell anyone for probably three or four weeks afterwards. I didn't even tell my girlfriend, uh, cause I was That's... so like, it was so like, uh, outside of my, yeah. uh, outside of my, uh, kind of normal behavior. Yeah. Um, okay. I get that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's one of those small decisions, as Sean was saying, that it seems like a small decision at the time. I'm just going to go try out this, this martial arts class. But when I think about, like, oh, those lines have separated a lot. Like, I think back, like, if I chose not to take that martial arts class, like, where would I be right now? Nowhere near where I am now because I didn't know any of the great people I know. So, um, wonderful. So, uh, I said I'm going to end this podcast, like, four times now. Uh, but we'll end, it, we'll end it for real this time. <laughs> Uh, no. A recent bad joke that each of you have heard. Uh, oh, bad jokes. Why can't you trust uh, baby chicks? <laughs> Why? Because talk is cheap. <laughs> cheap, cheap. <laughs> I, you, I, I am shocked that you came up with that on the spot. Uh, yeah, I have nothing. You got nothing? No. Uh, what's the difference between people that uh, live in Dubai and people that live in Abu Dhabi? Oh, I don't know what. <laughs> That's over my head. Yeah. The people that live in Dubai don't watch the Flintstones, but the people in Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> you never watch Flintstones? 
I never watched the Flintstones. Yabba Dabba Doo. Oh, okay. He did say he only had three channels growing up. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Yabba Dabba Doo. Yeah. I was, it was just before my time, but uh, yeah, Abu Dabba Doo. What is, what is a pig's favorite karate technique? What? The pork chop. <laughs> that one is bad. That's, yeah. that's bad. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to finish up here. Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at BenTheSurface. Uh, Beneath the Surface was taken, unfortunately, so it's at BenTheSurface. Uh, I also have a Facebook group. You can follow, uh, follow me there. Um, just search Beneath the Surface and you'll find me there. Um, you can watch this or listen to this episode and others on iTunes and Android. And uh, both Sean and Zach both have um, some things they'd like to uh, say about how they can, uh, how you can get a hold of them and, and follow what they're doing. Uh, yeah, so for me, um, I have a YouTube channel uh, regarding nature and re- relaxing nature scenes. So that's called Handsome Nature. So you can check it by searching uh, Handsome Nature YouTube channel and uh, check it out. And if you like it, click subscribe. I'm on uh, Instagram. Uh, I recently changed my Instagram name. It's uh, Handsome Nature underscore YouTube. And uh, I'm on uh, Facebook. You can like my page or check me out, Sean Leahy Nature Photography. Um, yeah. Wonderful. It's, uh, it's good for those, uh, we mentioned the two types of martial artists, the ones that have no aggression and the ones that have too much. Uh, the ones that have too much should definitely check out uh, Sean's relaxing nature videos. Though. Especially the, the lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh, uh, it'll help them deal with that pent-up aggression. Yeah. All right. Zach? All right, so I'm not used to shameless plugs, so bear with me here. I also have a YouTube cam- channel. It doesn't have any meditative uh, qualities to it. It's just a collection of my martial arts seminars that I've attended. The handle is Candor and Amity. Uh, the capital C in candor, lowercase and, and a capital A in amity. And as always, I encourage everyone to try uh, any martial arts that they have nearby. But uh, for Kingston and Brockville specifically, I've trained with Marty Tucker at the Academy of Martial Arts, Steve Nash at Traditional Excellence, uh, Jamie Rickard at Koketsu Kai Tiger's Den Jiu-Jitsu and Grappling, and then in Brockville here, Danny Krupa's Seaway Self-Defense Academy. Cool. Wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen. I think uh, we had a pretty good discussion. It was uh, super interesting. I'm glad some of you, I'm glad you two had a lot of the same feelings that I had uh, going into martial arts. And also dealing with bullying and that kind of thing, or just lack of, lack of confidence, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate getting the time to, to spend talking with you. My name's Hayden Hanna, host of Beneath the Surface, and I will see you next time.
this long ago Wouldn't have let her disappear On the edge of the soul